Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. This is, uh, as always, Dan Luss, and this week I am joined by Taryn Sharma and Stephanie Weisenberger. What's up, gang? What's up, gang? <laughs> What's up, gang? Yeah, Dan, I, I just had a really quick question before we started. It's something that I tried to ask you online. Do you ever sleep? Fun fact, I just woke up from a power nap, so I get my, get my time in when I can, five, ten minutes. Sometimes a couple hours, but uh, this past week, uh, infrequent, especially when you have a 16-month-old who is having problems uh, sleeping. Um, but Taryn, fun fact, the show has actually started. So, I mean, like, you have asked the question um, while the podcast is ongoing, which I'm happy we got this on the air. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, we're, we're recording late at night. I see you on radio at all odd hours in various different cities. Uh, and TV now, and TV now. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That hair, that perfectly coiffed hair has made it to TV. You know what? I was telling someone recently, uh, you know, in the pre-COVID era, sometimes uh, people would go to these things called casinos. They were very fun once upon a time. And, uh, you know, you'd say like, uh, you know, when things are going well and you're, you're, uh, you know, you're running really hot and uh, crap staple, you're on a little bit of a heater. And I don't know what's going on recently. But I'm getting the call a lot, and I'm appreciative. I, I, I do not take it for granted. But you know you're on a heater when you post a random story about your, your grandma liking Gonzaga, and then the Gonzaga local news picks it up and wants to run a story. That's when you know you just uh, – I'm on a heater. So I was uh, – Stephanie, our, our mutual boss today, I was telling um, about what was going on, and uh, he's like, you know, you kind of have the Midas touch. And I'm like, Interesting. What would be the opposite of the Midas touch? And uh, actually, let me ask you guys, what is the opposite of the Midas touch when you touch things and things go badly? Because I have, a, I have a guess, but you guys go ahead. That's the dirt box touch. Is that the Busby it's touch? It's similar. It's the, Bus- the Bus- Busby touch. Busby touch. So Whoa, all, all acceptable like answers. <laughs> um, also, Dan, the- I think it might be about time that we get some sort of hair product sponsor. That's the right. Hair product sponsor for the show. I'm getting a lot of hair comments recently. American I crew. American I heard crew. a few from my grandmother after the symposium yesterday. <laughs> is your is your grandmother a fan of my hair? She does. She likes it. Oh wow! They're only um, good. The only good comments. There's only Excellent. ever good comments. Excellent. Well, um, neither of you guys answered my question. The the answer I think was the the shit touch or the Medusa touch, which is what we decided on. <laughs> oh, okay. um, the shit touch. <laughs> everything, everything you touch when you have the Midas touch turns to gold, and when you have the shit touch, just don't want to be touch, touching things in the living room because that'll get really messy and really smelly really quick. Okay, <laughs> we have a very bu- busy show this week. Um, we have a, such a busy show that uh, in the pre-planning phase, we came up with seven topics to hit. We're only going to hit four. We're going to spare you. Uh, the last uh, first source is the last time that a show tried to cover seven things at once was Stephanie's New York Law School Symposium. <laughs> seven people on a panel. That's not going to go that well. We're going to have an, <laughs> an over under speaking per panel is probably like twice. So There's Brady you know. Bunch, but everyone added something unique and special. So um, it, well, it was, not, it was like not, Brady Bunch. It's not like the Brady Bunch because the Brady Bunch has nine people in the grid, and that was seven. Stephanie, go watch some. I know, but on okay, that's your homework looking assignment. Looking at the Zoom screen, you know, I don't know. Brady Bunch was maybe a little bit before my time. I'm, you know, it's a lot before Hollywood your time. Hollywood Squares. Yeah, Terry and I are still in our twenties. You're, you're over the hill. 
Oh right. my gosh. I, I am. No, no, I, I will acknowledge it. Listen, it is totally fine. Okay. Steph, if he's Let's... over the hill, we're going to be over the hill soon. We've got to make it so that being past your 30s is still in your prime. That's true. Make 30s cool again. Mm, mm. <laughs> let's get that trending okay so we're gonna we're gonna mm, let's let's go right into the topics and we'll save uh, the other three for the end but we we have uh, some some recaps we're gonna give you on some other stories we're not gonna touch but uh here are the topics that did make the cut we're gonna go over the latest in the deshaun watson case uh we're gonna go over a story that's not getting that much attention at least uh, over here in the northeast lsu has like a trifecta of lawsuits going on uh, and then uh, we're going to go over to San Diego slash Los Angeles, the Superchargers, who um, are involved in a little messy ownership battle. Very rarely do we get trust in the states on the show. So we, we'll find a way to obviously get that in. Uh, and then uh, fourth, you know, uh, some people don't like when we talk politics, but, uh, you know, we talk about voter laws and we talk about the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, unfortunately, it does fall at the intersection of sports and law. So we're going to cover it. Okay. That said, let's talk about the latest updates in the Deshaun Watson case. So, uh, okay. There's, there's a couple big ones that happened recently. Um, let, let's start at the top. I have a pretty good sense of the pulse of social media. And, I, and Stephanie can attest to this as well. Um, and we, we'll more on that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think the vibe on social media was very much um, at the beginning of this Tony Busby is scum. He's a slime ball. He's making up these cases and we hate Tony Busby. Now, fun fact, people still hate Tony Busby. He's still a slime ball, scummy guy. But here's what happened. Last week, or actually no, it was this week, it was on Tuesday, Tony Busby had a press conference. And guess what? For the first time, he didn't speak the whole time. He handed the mic over to the first client that filed the first complaint. This is the woman with the March 2020 allegations, Ashley Solis. The reason I can say her name is because she publicly said her name and she wants her name out there. She said, you will remember my name. I was afraid and now I'm not. So that was a very, and I watched it and Stephanie watched it, a very powerful press conference. And what happened after that, not coincidentally by any means, uh, the next day, really within 24 hours, Nike dropped him, Beats by Dre dropped him. Uh, it's a complete, it's the red wedding of sponsorships. Everybody just dropped him. That's another uh, Game of Thrones reference for um, people that don't watch Game of Thrones. And like those people are really old. They're like 50. Um, uh, in any event, yeah, so that's that's where we're at. Um, you know, and I guess the, the update from today, uh, I guess we have something every day on the, on the Watson watch. Uh, Rusty Harden filed a, uh, a petition try to get the civil lawsuits, there are 20 plus of them, he tried to get them dismissed on the basis that in Texas, uh, under Texas law, you are not allowed to file lawsuits under a not, uh, being anonymous. There's only seldom actions that you could do that, some of them like when you're a minor, but that sexual assault cases don't apply under Texas state law, so you shouldn't be able to file anonymously. They have to, he's, he's asking the court to make them refile in their own name or else otherwise have the cases dismissed. So, giving you a lot, and I'm probably missing a couple updates because we uh, we covered Enzor. We haven't covered Watson exclusively in a while. Um, let me turn it over to the floor, guys. What are your thoughts uh, on Watson? I kind of think that it's a little bit difficult to, you know, judge the situation just in terms of it's such a touchy subject where a lot of other states, you're like you were saying, you're obviously able to file under these anonymous names. But I don't know. I think at the beginning, you're right, that Tony Busby was kind of not credible, but I think he's becoming more and more credible as 
time goes on. Um, and I think, you know, if these other 20 names are revealed, it's going to be really telling. But I do think it's also because of how public this has gotten. You know, he's Deshaun Watson, QB, the Texans, and he's obviously a very public figure. And so when something as damaging as this comes out and it's threatening your reputation, I understand why they obviously want them to refile these cases under their names. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's just when he is not making himself the center of the attention and when he is not uh, litigating the case through Instagram or wherever, and letting these women speak for themselves, it's a really powerful narrative. And if you want to make yourself look good and make Deshaun Watson, who you're accusing of these pretty heinous things, look bad, that's the best way to do it. So we've got these uh, emergency motions that were granted by Harris County District Court. We're going to know more, probably by the time that you're listening to this, we're going to know more because these hearings are at 845 tomorrow morning and noon tomorrow. So uh, you, you're going to know more on Friday. We've got these two women that have come forward out of the 22 civil lawsuits that have filed. So that's Ashley Solis, as you guys mentioned, and Lauren Baxley, who wrote a letter um, to a member of uh, Busby's law firm. And that letter was originally written as part of a therapy exercise, um, kind of uh, what she said to forgive herself for not coming forward sooner. And I'm just wondering, uh, Harden says that Busby sought $100,000 in hush money on behalf of Ms. Solis um, to quietly settle those allegations. And now her name has become public and a criminal complaint has been filed. I'm wondering if maybe Busby sought to lead with these two women that their cases were possibly the most plausible or if there were some other factors in consideration, what do you think, Dan? I don't know. I mean, did I, do I think Busby necessarily has a plan? No, I don't because Busby has, at least as from my optics has changed his plan a couple times. Um, and I don't, I think the woman with the strongest allegations, the, the woman in the third complaint, um, that was the one with the, you know, it's a, it's a messy allegation, but that it's forced oral sex, which is dissimilar to the other ones. I, I will say just on a, you know, you, you point out this, uh, you know, these emails that are being exchanged about $100,000, what they called hush money. Um, I don't know, just a legal point, right? We got we to hit the legal stuff. A lot of these pre-suit settlement talks, like they seem really juicy. But we have to keep in mind, like, if you are Deshaun Watson and um, you're made of money, right? You have $100 million, you have a lot of money. If someone says like, hey, I'll settle this case and I'll go away and I'll fade into the background for $100,000. You have to think about settling it. You have to have that conversation in your head, even if you, truthfully, even if you didn't do it, even if you're completely innocent, you don't think you did it because in the scheme, grand scheme of uh, how much you could stand to lose um, versus, you know, like, I don't know, fighting these in the court of public opinion and winning, still a lot like, you know, and I, I spoke to, um, you know, uh, AJ Perez, the article is probably going to come out tomorrow for front office sports. But I said, like, there's a flaw in the civil justice system that you could get sued. We before we even know uh, if you're, you know, give 
if you're guilty or you're innocent and your reputation is harmed forever, it doesn't really matter. Like you, you just lose the ability to defend yourself. So. And I want to just uh, say something on that point. Harden did use a really nice turn of language in the statement that he put out, which is that quote, while I understand that anonymity often is used as a shield for victims, Mr. Busby is using it as a sword. So that's some really strong defense of his client there. I also kind of want to mention, did you guys see also that Busby read what he said were DMs between Deshaun and one of the women that had filed a statement that he had a good reputation in the industry and that she never had any problems. One of the 18 statements that Rusty Harden released a few days ago to kind of discount the alleged victim story. No, I missed that. Yeah, that was in the press conference um, on Tuesday also. And so, so I just, think- to, just to catch everyone up, uh, one of Deshaun Watson's methods of defending himself has been releasing uh, a signed statement by numerous other massage therapists that, you know, he's not this, this monster that is uh, committing sexual misconduct with every Instagram masseuse that he can find. So this is related to that. Yeah, apparently it was either DMs or text messages. I'm trying to remember between Deshaun and one of the women, one of the 18 women, and essentially she was warning him that his name was starting to get around in the industry and he should be more careful, essentially. Um, You know, I, I think, I don't know. It's hard to, the truth, and Stephanie, you bring it up and I, you know, I think the three of us, are pretty good at following the beat of the story. There's so many nuances to this. Like I caught, mm-hmm. I caught one the other day and Stephanie, I, I meant to give you a shout out. Like Stephanie posted something the other day on Twitter and like nasty people are dropping in our replies. Even if you just report the news and you just report what happened, people are now ready to just, just, just to kill Deshaun Watson and just like, I'm done with him. You know, uh, I said something along the lines of like, everyone deserves their day in court. You know, it could look bad, but everyone deserves their day in court. And Someone responded to me, well, now he'll get his day in court 20 times. It's like, okay, like, just everyone calm down. Like, the guy's allowed to defend himself. Like, we're not going to skewer somebody because they're allegations. You know what? And if he did it and he's found guilty, like, and if he, if he you, know, you know, it takes a plea or, you know, if he takes a criminal case, okay, kill him then. Just, like, everybody hold their horses. Like, let's not, let's not like, tattoo the guy. Um, and, and by the way, that doesn't stop us from talking about, uh, you know, whether this is plausible, whether it looks bad for him that there are like right. dozens of al- allegations. So none of that prevents right. it. We have a process. That's all it is. Yeah. I, I, I do want to point. I mean, like that said, like if you're if you're and like, you know, I will address the elephant room. If you're, if you're just like taking bets. Right. The court of public opinion is important. By all means, it's an important thing. It's the be all end all. No. But outside of the court of public opinion, I could tell you that like there, uh, I will, I'll tell you like the, the news update that I, I figured out some little change um, on Friday. And now I'm remembering we didn't recover this in the last podcast, but last Friday was the first criminal uh, police report that was filed with the Houston police department. So originally that was reported that that was not a Busby client. And just like an interesting little tidbit. So I thought that was an additional accuser. And then Ashley Solis, who we mentioned, has filed a, a police report with some other police department. I don't think we know which one it is. I don't think they've announced that. Um, so, uh, and then there's this woman, Mary, right? Mary is this uh, non-Busby client. She was creeped out by Busby's firm. She felt pressured. I added the word creeped out because I'm sure anyone that meets Sonny Busby is just getting the creeps. You know, he's just, he's just a Busby creepy hater. guy. 
Yeah, I'm not, not a fan of Busby. So yes, yeah, so we have Mary, and then we have Busby's 20 clients. So people are keeping track. That's, you know, two, two police reports filed. We have these uh, 19 or 20 people with Tony Busby firm that have filed a civil lawsuit, not a criminal one, and we have Mary. Then I found a little nugget from a, a friend, uh, the ESPN host that I go on, ESPN Houston, Pat Creighton, told me that uh, subsequently that Tony Busby acknowledged that the woman that went to the Houston Police Department was actually a Tony Busby client. Why is that strange? Okay, I'll tell you. And I think I've uncovered something here, gang. Um, Tony Busby noted uh, at his initial, uh, I think this was last week at this point, he goes, he goes, hey, I'm going to bring everything to the Houston Police Department. I'm going to bring it to the DA's office. It's going to be great. I'm going to give everything to everybody. A week goes by, and then there's like, we don't hear anything from Tony Busby. And then he brings up the statement that I had a lot of fun with online, which I thought was a classic Busbyism. He's like, hey, I'm just kidding. I said I was going to bring everything to the Houston Police Department, but I just realized I ran for mayor in 2019, and uh, I told the, the police chief to step down. And because I told the police chief to step down, I probably imagine because I'm so smart, I'm Tony Busby. It took me two years to figure out that the, probably the entire Houston Police Department hates me. So I probably have a conflict that, there. That chief, by the way, and we didn't point this out on the last episode, but that Acevedo, the, the chief, he's already moved on. He's no longer in Houston. He's in Miami now. Well, he, the fruit, Busby is saying the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine, that it poisoned the whole well. Um, but, you know, he's saying I had that conflict and he had the conflict with Rusty Hardenstein there. But anyway, just mind you, Busby was very clear. I am not bringing cases to the Houston Police Department. Crystal clear. Okay. That said, right, after, after he goes, I'm not bringing things to the Houston Police Department, somebody on a Friday files a, some, files a criminal complaint with the Houston Police Department. So everyone's logically like, oh, they can't be a Tony Busby client because Tony Busby said, I'm not doing the Houston Police Department. But Tony Busby later confirmed again by, by uh, Pat Creighton over DSP in Houston that it was his client. So that leaves two, two points. And I'm going to let you guys, I'm going to give this to the floor. I'm going to give you the options. There's only two of them. Tony Busby lied that he actually had someone file a uh, police department, uh, something with police department. Number two, and this is the only other one, that one of his clients said, F you, Tony Busby, I'm going to the Houston Police Department and I don't give a shit what you think. Uh, which one do we think it is, guys? I'm going number two. Yeah, I like two better also. Um, it's 100% number two. You want to know why? Because it's insane that Tony Busby's personal conflicts are preventing the case from going to the Houston Police Department. His, his personal, I ran for mayor and I hate Acevedo. And like, that's not a conflict that should hinder the case. So when I heard, first heard these personal conflict stories, I got DMs from attorneys and I'm like, that's like, I'm not going to say it's it's necessarily rising to the level of like malpractice, but you were putting your interest ahead of that of your clients. And you waited three weeks to bring it to the police department. It made the case look really bad for three weeks. And guess what? Guess what? The effing case has all of a sudden turned around. Number one, Tony Busby, because you uh, took the advice of Aaron Burr. Uh, does anybody know what I'm about to say? Talk less. Yes. Tony. No, Tony. Tony, you were not smiling on my watch with that creepy little triangle smile. Right. <laughs> But but the case is turning because Tony Busby's taking a back seat. He's bringing it. He's filing police reports. He's giving he's now publicizing at least one name. So like all the stuff that Harden is saying, like, hey, you're not doing this. He is now all of a sudden doing it. So we talked about this last week and I just want to make it really clear for the listeners. It's not that you have some personal vendetta against Tony Busby. You're on the side of good lawyering. Right. And when the lawyer makes himself the story. Mm -hmm. That makes it very difficult to provide adequate representation to the client, right? If I said that, that sounds like something really smart. Um, I'm not sure that that <laughs> stuff comes out of my mouth. 
but uh, yes, it sounds. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, it sounds great. I'll take credit for it. Um, no, yeah, I, 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 uh, and I guess you know sometimes we have new new listeners that come in. Um, I think Tony Busby uh, embodies all the stereotypes that people make fun of lawyers for: slimy, double talk. He's all about money. I watched, and I, I, I mean, there's a parody account of Tony Busby, which. Maybe it's a faux pas that I'm doing on social media. I'm engaging with the parody account. I'm tagging the parody account. Or maybe it's him himself. It's oh. no, it's not. It's no, it's not. It's a, it's a lawyer from. It's a lawyer James from one Texas. of one. No, it's a, it's um. I spoke to the. Well, I think it's a guy. It is a lawyer from Texas that shares my sentiment that Tony Busby is bad for their profession. I I am not on the side of of, of an, either another of another valiant defender of good lawyering. Right, like you, you don't want the profession to look bad. And Busby, okay, mind you, listen. This, this is this could be the Tony Busby show, okay? Tony Busby show part two. Not again. The guy ran. The guy ran for mayor of Houston, okay? And and you don't even need to. It's not even bad for the profession. You're just a weird guy. The guy ran for mayor of Houston, okay? Everyone's allowed to run for mayor. I don't care. Gives a press conference, okay? Is that Stephanie? I know you saw this video. Turn. You see the video I posted? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. The man. It, it, running for mayor is wearing a, a camouflage jacket, which, okay, wear a camouflage jacket. I have no idea why you're doing it, but whatever, fine. One sleeve is rolled up, okay? So he has one forearm exposed and the other forearm's not exposed. The reason he had one forearm exposed is because he has a shark tattoo on his forearm. So he wanted to show his constituency, I have a shark on my forearm. That's Ooh, the- that's corny. No, it's not just corny. It's it's something that an insane person does. Like you're you're running for mayor of Houston. You who, who walks to the voting booth that day? Oh, I'm not sure who to pick: Democrat, Republican, or Busby. Uh, oh, you know what? He's got a shark tattoo. The, the <laughs> man has a shark tattoo. I like what that man stands for. Voting for Busby. And guess who shockingly lost? And guess who? Uh, yeah, I won't say that. But he, any publicity uh, is good publicity, Steph. Uh, I think it depends. There's definitely some things that you can't come back from. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> now, speaking of things you can't come back from, let's sec transition to our second topic. And speaking of strugglings with uh, bad lawyering. Oh, let's have this <laughs> double, double, double excellent transition. Yeah. Louisiana State University, uh, yeah. LSU uh, are not, not our most recent national champion, but they won with Joe Burrow. Right. Uh, a, a cast of characters with Coach O. Uh, and now all of a sudden we're having a very messy conversation. Uh, I, I'm going to say this, that, that maybe resembles uh, a lack of institutional control charge that was being whispered and was the center of the conversation at Penn State with Joe Paterno back in the day, with just so many issues going on. But Taryn, I count not one, not two, but three smoking guns going on over uh, in, uh, in Baton Rouge. Uh, tell us what's going yeah. on over at LSU. Let's see if we can... Let's see if we can hit a couple of them. Uh, I will say that one difference between LSU and Penn State is that just Paterno was there for so long. This is something that stems uh, past multiple head coaches. So something that we've talked about on the podcast and in our TikToks is uh, that Les Miles was behaving inappropriately. Uh, Jeff Long, the AD who hired him at Kansas to then be head coach uh, after the LSU allegations was also let go by Kansas. So Les Miles and Jeff Long are out. And also Dr. King Alexander, who was the president of LSU at the time, 
uh, has submitted his resignation at Oregon State University, which recently made an Elite Eight run. Um, and so we've got this big issue, and that is there was rampant sexual misconduct going on uh, by LSU players and by Coach Les Miles, and that was not being handled properly by the school's Title IX offices. So if you read the Hush Blackwell report, that points out a systemic inadequacy with their Title IX office. Uh, understaffed, there's a huge glut of complaints that are going to one person, Miriam Seeger, and, and she's deciding whether she's going to pass those complaints on or not. Um, one football staffer who is responsible for receiving a lot of those complaints is Sharon Lewis. And Sharon Lewis is no longer with the, uh, she's currently LSU football associate athletic director, but presumably she will no longer be with the university because she has filed a $50 million lawsuit against the university and against uh, Baton Rouge based law firm, Taylor Porter. And Taylor Porter acts sort of as outside counsel. So uh, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. They're being hired by the university to handle these specific issues. Is that right? That's my understanding. Um, Taylor Porter, I think the other one, uh, Taryn, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Is it Hush Blackwell was the second one that was running the, the report? Yeah, so yeah. Hush Blackwell came in afterwards to conduct this larger investigation. And that's what revealed these inadequacies and failures by LSU. And so now Sharon Lewis has filed a $50 million lawsuit that names LSU, it names Taylor Porter, it names Miriam Seeger, and it names uh, Verge Osbury. And Verge Osbury and Miriam Seeger are the only two current LSU employees who are disciplined stemming from that Hush Blackwell report. So it's a very interesting case that we have someone suing their employer, and all of the people associated with this. At the same time, Miriam Seeger and Virgil Osberry, a call that they happen to have with the representative of Gloria Scott, a 70-year-old employee at the Superdome who alleged to be sexually harassed by former um, LSU running back and, and Washington football team running back Darius Geis, her, her representative was apparently asking for something around $100,000 uh, in what they're calling hush money. And you can hear these phone calls. They've been released publicly. I, I just see a lot of issues with LSU. Um, it, it seems like they're going to have to settle this case. And, and what I'm wondering, Dan, how does somebody reaching out through a third party to try to get some sort of settlement, how does that affect their prospects in court? Don't most court cases end up in a settlement anyway? Uh, it's a good question. I'm, uh, you know, it, I guess the short answer is uh, evidence of pre-suit settlement doesn't always get into court. Um, just like, and and I and I think if I read the LSU story correctly, I, I'm not. I can't really make sense of this, but. Uh, $100,000 in hush money is like the offer of the day. Everyone's just going for $100,000 LSU, right? Wasn't the, LF, the, setter, the offer to set LSU 100000 It's a lot of money. To, you know, when I actually, as a, as a side note, 
when I try to settle cases, you start at nuisance, which is, uh, which is well, I, I don't want to tell any of my opposing counsel my secret. But if I say, if I ever hear someone say they want to settle a case at nuisance value, nuisance is code for like costs, how much it would cost someone to settle a case. Like, hey, you could bring a case, even if you think it's like a, like a really bad case. For me, I'd have to file a pre-answer motion to dismiss if I really feel confident about it. And let's say I think there's maybe an issue of fact, he said, she said. Uh, I'll have to wait all the way up until depositions. Uh, and depositions cost money, prepping for depositions, discovery, complaints. So, uh, you know, even if I still think I'm going to win, uh, I'm going to have to go through depositions. It's a long period of time that comes with a lot of costs. Uh, so I don't know, you have to figure out what costs would be if you think you could win at the pre-suit stage or pre-answer stage, deposition phase. So if you want to say, you know, and then sometimes, right, you can't get it, uh, can't get it dismissed uh, for motion, uh, motion after depositions, and you got to get a case, you got to take it all the way to trial, right? And if you, if you still think you could win a trial, there's still an amount of money that you put on the table not to try the case, not to pay experts. So if you wind all those things together, the possible realm of costs it would take the case to get, to get the case all the way up to trial. This is why lawyers uh, like myself have to put together litigation budgets if you're uh, at an insurance defense firm like I was for many years. And you have to say what the case would cost from inception to defend it all the way to trial. That's why, you know, you guys, I'm sure plenty of you listening to this will be on the plaintiff side and will be on the defense side. That's why budget, budgets are very important because it'll kind of give the your client, uh, whoever has controlling the money at this point, um, will give them an indication of how much they should put uh, on authority for you to settle the case. So if I say, hey, it's a small claims case for me to really defend this case all the way up to trial, uh, I don't know, like five grand, it's not that much money. They'll probably give me five grand to settle the case. So uh, just a, some word of advice for those on the plaintiff side and the defense side. So the, you know, the pre-suit, the settlement discussions doesn't always come in. It, it doesn't. And if I was the side that, um, you know, if I was, let's say, let's put it in the context that I think people are familiar with, like the Deshaun Watson state, we all know that the settlement part exists. Is that going to get to a jury, right? I mean, jury might know it happened if they're listening to the news, but it might not be allowed in evidence. Why? And this is the same uh, relevancy versus uh, prejudice versus probatives that uh, FRE 403. How's my, how's my evidence doing? The federal rules of 403. evidence. 403. So yeah, I, the LSU story is interesting. Um, I, I think, I, I don't know, this is from a, from a football standpoint. Um, uh, actually, I don't know. Let's not get to the football standpoint. Steph, what, do you, what are your thoughts before we move over to the attorney stuff? Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Well, I think that it's worth almost reading the statement that Les Miles um, issued through his attorney to several media outlets on Wednesday, because it's quite strong. And so when we're talking about settlement here, at least my initial impression of this is that he is not interested in settling. He's going to file his own claims. And he actually says it. I'll read a little bit of it starts out with this lawsuit is a work of fiction eight years in the making the manner in which miss lewis and her counsel have slowly rolled out this lawsuit is telling culminating in her counsel holding a press conference rather than having the pleading speak for itself and pronouncing that the lawsuit is for other women that almost kind of echoes what everything behind busby from the beginning was which is interesting and then it says les miles has no liability in this matter the accusations against him are false and meritless, and he'll be responding by bringing his own claims addressing Miss Lewis's malicious and false accusations. So I don't know. It sounds like they are not in a place, at least right now, to have any sort of settlement discussions. And they're, they might be 
litigating this pretty hard. Well, you know, part of part of this, and this is we'll, we'll get to the football side of it, but it's like, um, I mean, I, I can't really make sense of why the demand in this case is a 50, 50 million dollars. That's so. Lot. Title IX discrimination is no joke, right? And um, I, I think it's you know, it's a very serious issue, as far as I'm aware. And you guys can tell me if I'm if this. She's suing in an individual capacity, or is she trying to make this class action? I believe it's individual as now. She's, I don't know. I mean, she's she's basically suing because she said that she, she suffered fired. adverse uh, okay. effects in her work because she was willing to forward these complaints. Okay. Well, uh, again, and uh, for at least what we're hearing now, $50 million is a lot of money. Usually, right, you would ask for $50 million if you uh, somehow lost economically out on $50 million, your reputation was harmed to the point where you could lose $50 million, right? And let's, I don't know, uh, if she's making a a million dollars a year, $10 million a year, right? And you could maybe make that argument a little bit better, but I don't know. I I just wouldn't think an athletic director at LSU is making that kind of money to be uh, in a position to make $50 million over the remainder of her career that she was harmed from it. So I don't know, that stood up to me as, as a, as a big, big number, but you know, it is what it is. So from a football standpoint, um, wh- you know, why it's important, um, again, um, in the event of some type of tiebreaker or some you're trying to decide between two schools, maybe you decide not to go to LSU. If you think they're going to hit with sanctions, they might lose scholarships. Um, you know, maybe they're not going to be bowl eligible. A lot of, a lot of uh, potential negative effects over at LSU. Um, okay, that said, uh, let's transition to our third topic. Now, this one, oh, man, I never thought we'd be talking about trust in the states from the podcast. My wife, who I think is in a streak of not listening to the last three My episodes, wife. Uh, is a trust in the states attorney. So maybe, yeah, maybe we'll see. Gotten her as a guest. Oh, that was never happening. That was <laughs> not going to happen. That was a hundred percent not going to happen. Um, okay, so. I'm going to give people the basic facts on this uh, this Los Angeles Chargers trust in the state case. It's actually very interesting, even though trust in the states um, is not typically that interesting. Okay, so Dean Spanos. Um, we don't talk about Dean Spanos like the way we talk about Dan Snyder, but if you lived in San Diego, we live in Los Angeles, people do not like Dean Spanos, especially in San Diego. I went on um, San Diego Extra 3, 1360 was their uh, sports talk radio. I figured, you know, they maybe hate uh, they maybe hate Dean Spanos because he picked team up out of San Diego and he moved him over to Los Angeles as a complete money gram. Uh, there was a relocation fee of a couple hundred million dollars, but he's like, screw it. I'm going to leave San Diego and I'm going to pay the NFL hundreds of million dollars. I need to get out of San Diego so badly. So kind of a bad move, at least uh, hindsight being 2020 because of the pandemic, he was expecting a big boom from there being so many fans in Los Angeles and being this cool LA team. I don't think Los Angeles Chargers are that cool. I think they're just like, they're just uh you know free they're in Los free Angeles. new stadium though they don't pay anything on that lease but you well, have ucla usc stanford you have all these big nobody cares about the chargers and, the, I, and they have yeah. the rams in the same building i'm just saying that they don't pay anything they wanted a new stadium they don't pay guess anything. what nobody cares about the chargers in los angeles <laughs> and i can i can tell you because i spoke to the source Fifty million dollars yeah no one well well let's let's get to the math here i'm going to break this part down this is very important to the story it's a little complex but just bear with me on the numbers okay the spanos family has owned the team for years in the gener- generation before this the spanish family. dean spanos is the controlling owner because uh, for whatever reason they wanted to make dean spanos there are four siblings four spanos siblings 
Okay. And when the parents uh, set up the ownership of the team, they didn't want to pick favorites, but I guess they picked Dean. So they picked a little bit of a favorite, but at least when it came to ownership uh, and everybody put their math calculators on because trust in the States, I guess has a lot to do with math. Thank God I am not in this industry. Okay. Four siblings, each got 15% of the company, uh, 15% of the team, 15. So 15 times four math majors out there, that's 60%. The trust, the Spanish family trust, which is a trust made up of all four of these siblings, owns 36% of the team. So Spanos family overall, right? The kids plus the trust owns 96. And then there's like three, 4% of minority owners. But don't worry about the 4%. We're worried about the 96%. Okay. Now, one of this, the, the sister, um, who I think her name is D. So listen, listen, I'm a new parent out here, right? I would never name one kid Dean and one kid D, D-E-A. That's a mistake waiting to happen. Dean and D are bound to hate each other. And shockingly, that's what's going on right now. Dean is fighting D. The only difference in them is maybe a little bit of genetics, but no N. Other than that, very similar button heads. <laughs> That's what's playing out in the court before our eyes. D has hired a lawyer uh, who is, uh, you know, maybe the Rusty Harden of uh, selling teams over in Los, uh, Los Angeles. She, the, the attorney that she has uh, retained helped Steve Ballmer by the Clippers, helped uh, uh, Jeannie Buss cement her ownership status in the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, so, so the guys have been involved in some high-level disputes over in Los Angeles. That's the biggest gun you could possibly get. He's filed a petition to essentially say that Dean Spanos is running the team into the ground, that the team has uh, piled or assembled debts and liabilities that are or debts and expenses that are exceeding $350 million. The family trust is in, in a lot of trouble uh, and they should be forced to sell their strongest uh, asset. So the team, the, the trust doesn't go bankrupt. They're just hemorrhaging money. And right now, team sales and across the sports landscape are in the billions. So you can wipe out that 350 million pretty quickly uh, and you can just flush your pockets. Now here's, here's uh, I mean, Steph, I'm gonna give it to you for the, the trustee part so you can get ready. You can do some quick go Googling on fiduciary duties because I'm gonna give it to your heart, okay? Now, okay. Here, here's where it gets interesting. Okay, so she's trying to force the trust to sell their assets in the team. Um, if you, and then there's also a part of this trust that basically says, you know, if you leave the team, you've, uh, if one of the minority owners wants to leave, there's right of first refusal for the other sibling. So that's kind of important, but whatever. If the trust is forced to sell their teams and a, and a uh, trustee, um, sorry, and I should mention D and Dean are co-trustees of this, of the team. Um, I did way too much research into trust law for this. So it's very complicated. Um, but if a judge rules that it's in the interest of the trust to sell this, right, 36% of the charges would then be put up for sale. Oh, and this is why these numbers work out so perfectly, guys. 36% of the team, and then D, Sister D over here, is going to put her 15 up for sale in the open market. Guys, now I was not a math major. I was a philosophy major and one credit shy of a theater minor, which I don't know if anybody could guess that from my antics on this <laughs> podcast, but 36 <laughs> plus 15 equals 51. So that would mean that a controlling interest in the team would hit the open market. That doesn't happen very often. And guess who's way down the sidelines, guys? Bezos money. Okay, Stephanie, I'll turn it over to you. Let me let me hear uh, this fiduciary stuff because uh, I, I know uh, you you have the bar maybe coming up. Maybe this will come up. So pretend this is your your uh, lesson, and you can teach us teach us the class. Well, of the, the main issue here is that I actually haven't taken Will's trust and estate. Okay. Well, you've now that's failed the, the bar. Only bar. That's the only class that's going to be on the bar that I have not taken yet. So that's guess the, what? That's the guess what? One. You you just you just took it in your preparation for this podcast. So go ahead, teach the lecture. Okay. 
I was, I'm trying to avoid this. Socratic thing. method. This is the Socratic method you got called on. Okay. No, I'll, oh, okay. Professor go, Lust. Go ahead. Oh, Wait, uh, yeah. Uh, Professor Lust. No, 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 no. Cold we're not, calling we're not. Steph in the middle Listen, of the podcast. Oh, Steph, Stephanie, Stephanie, I'm, I'm so watching all these, for a second. Uh, no, 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 no. Don't even say it. We'll save it later. Okay. Go ahead. Let's talk. What you say. This is a podcast. You can say whatever you want. I'll call it. I'll call it. I'll handle heavy lifting after. Go ahead. Ooh, well, I think it's one number one interesting. I love a good family scandal. You love it in the movies. Did you just say that your topic was more interesting than the topic? Okay, oh, go ahead. I see how it is. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, no, I'm saying. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay, go ahead. Okay, but I think it's very interesting that, you know, this team has been in the family since what, 1984 or something crazy like that. And what I find especially interesting is some of this evidence that is in this 156 page filing is actually a November 2019 letter that Dean Spanos vowed to his three siblings, apparently, that he would retain an investment bank at the end of the 2024 season in an effort to find a new owner. And that's why D is saying the situation is way too dire right now to wait. And obviously with these new media rights deals, the television rights deals in the NFL, they're obviously projecting that you could get a pretty good bang for your buck right now if they went and sold the team. But I mean, Dean doesn't want to do that. No one but D. I hate these names. D, Dean. I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a red flag. The Spanos family really was not, they did not know what they're doing with their kids' names. And then, you know, just split, the, split everybody up 15, 15, 15. No, that's, that's not how teams work. The um, missing N in D's name stands for this nasty lawsuit that might be coming. <laughs> <laughs> Get um, that works. Um, okay, I, I, I think for, for the legal part of this, is definitely bring up a, a very good point. Um, the, I think the, and um, I, I don't know, because I, I read a report after that from the Los Angeles Times that said that that, that that component of the filing was not necessarily true, that that said to the, to the extent that one of the minority, or not minority members, but um, one of the siblings wanted to sell their shares, that Dean Spanos uh, was going to retain an investment firm to, I guess, help them find an offer. So, but I'm hearing it both ways. And this is the same stuff on the Watts. So don't believe everything you read until you're actually in court. You can play it out. But, you know, we need to tell you guys both sides and people can make up their minds. So uh, I'm not going to spend so long in it. But, um, you know, in, in trust in the states, if there's an issue with the trust and you have and there's co-trustees, you go to a judge and the judge can say like, hey, you have a fiduciary duty that you owe to the trust. So this is, this is the part I think is, you know, you, you think, Stephanie, that part's the most interesting part, but I'm going to come back at you. I have another interesting part, okay? Okay. Everybody in their right mind that's a sports fan, and Stephanie, I listened to you. I'll give you a quick shout out. Stephanie hosted as co or she was the vice president of New York Sports Law Society. She had a long conversation with Mark Lazary, uh, the that's owner cool. of the Milwaukee Bucks. So you got to hear into the mind of uh, an owner of a team. It's got to be the coolest thing in the world. He was talking about drafting Giannis and, and playing horse with Drew Holiday. Yeah, that it was, was the, that yeah, was the it best. It was really part. cool. The horse story best. It was just just really cool. Maybe uh, you know, let's the the horse story. Um, I actually, uh, well, I'm going to tell it. And I just just because well, you tell I, it. You're on. You're a better storyteller. No, you're you're, you're you're a pretty good storyteller on your own, right? But I'll give the abbreviated version. Uh, this guy, Mark Lazary, basically was like, hey, Drew, this is when they were, when they're, Drew Holiday just signed a mega deal. What was it, 160 over four guys? Yeah, it was yeah, like 160 max over four years, yeah. Yeah, it's a big, big deal. So they were, they were having talks about whether they were going to sign him to this big deal. I'm sure Lazary was talking to the agent. And Lazary just kind of casually goes up to Drew and he goes, Drew, how about a game of horse? 
And Drew goes, okay, what happens uh, if I win? And Lazarus goes, pay a lot of money. And Drew goes, okay. And then uh, like, what happens if you win? He goes, well, if I win, I'll pay You're you a million, a million dollars a year. Yeah. And just like, can you imagine, can you imagine going up to Drew Holiday and saying that? And like, I don't, so I don't even know if they played horse, but anyway, why did I, why did I bring this up? Owning a team is probably the coolest thing you could possibly do, right? It, it, there's, there's very few things, it, it, but because you own a team, right? It doesn't mean that that, that has anything to do with the, your fiduciary duty as a trustee. If, if your role as a fiduciary of a trustee is to make sure that the trust is doing well and it's not like falling into the red and like getting hammered and they owe $350 million to different people, you're probably failing at your role as a, fidu as a fiduciary to the trust. Um, and if that's, you're supposed to be protecting everyone's assets, I'm sure D over here, right? D doesn't realize any money if the team is not sold. If the team is really in the red and getting crushed and ownership value really lies in resale value, which Stephanie also Mark Lazarus said last night that the team is not making any money. The team doesn't really make money. It's all, it's all like breaking all even. Back in. And then, and then if you sell it, you make a lot. So I think he's also said, cause I was, you know, I was listening very closely I that know. the, that if the Golden State Warriors were to be sold today, they just sold a, a portion of a minority portion of the team that valued the, the entity at $5 billion. So and if the Warriors were to be sold today, it would reset all the, the, the markets for buying and selling teams, $5 billion. And this is less than 10 years prior when Mark Lazarus bought the Bucks for, for $500 million. So the point is, uh, I think D's got a point here. I think if the Chargers aren't making money, and they're really in the red. He probably owes a duty to the trust to sell it. And it's it's really, you know, we we you guys love you know we love talking about throwing eggs at Snyder's house. But people in San Diego, they want blood. They're like, you know what, Dean is D, like Sister D, Sister D's got a point here. Let's 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 sell this thing and let's put throw dirt on Dean's ownership of the Chargers. Um, I don't know, Taryn, you've been you've been awfully quiet. Are you are you a Dean Spanos fan over here? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I love Dan Snyder, so why wouldn't I automatically love Dean Spanos or pretty much peas in a pod? No, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> you're talking about Bezos. I saw your Instagram post the other day. Stop. Okay. Bezos is just lining up. He, he knows that Snyder's got a hundred percent ownership of Washington. Now <laughs> he's ready. He's got the house in DuPont. He bought up an entire block. He has security shut down the street. When he wants to go for a jog, he wants to own the Washington football team. He's going to own them. Uh, and so the, the question that I did have, though, um, you mentioned that, uh, that D. Spanos's lawyer was involved with the Clippers sale to Balmer. How much similarity does this have with Shelly Sterling going to probate court to try to force the sale of the Clippers. Cause that's mm -hmm. ultimately how they got sold. A lot of people think that the NBA forced the hand, but that's not how it went down. So how much similarity is there between these two situations? Not that much similarity. Well, well, hold on. I've never, I don't, unless you, you're aware of a Dean Spanos tape that exists, uh, that existed for uh, Don Sterling. Are you aware of such a tape? Dissimilar. Not that I know. <laughs> Dissimilar. And as far as I'm aware, Dean Spanos is not of, uh, Oh, listen, what was going on with Shelly Sterling and people know it's really messy, uh, really messy racist allegations over with the Clippers and Donald Sterling ended up selling the team. There was an allegation um, that Donald Sterling was not of sound mind to to be owning such an asset. And that's kind of what forced the sale in probate court, because uh, Donald Sterling did, did seem to have a couple screws loose and not a couple screws loose like 
hey, I'm refusing to sell my team because I love being a football owner. A couple screws loose, like I'm going to go on a racist rant. And like, you know, uh, and there was tons of stuff over the years that were red don't, flags. Don't and, bring NBA icon Magic Johnson to my games. Yeah, it, it was a lot. I've listened. It was a great. Oh, speaking of things that everyone should listen to. Uh, there was a great uh, ESPN podcast that was a series. It was called like Donald Sterling Tapes. It was really, really good. Um, Taryn is nodding vociferously, but um, yeah, uh, you can't hear that in the podcast, but he's, he's nodding like almost like a bobblehead. It's just going up and down like that. It was amazing. Um, watch that. Uh, yeah, not, not that similar, but the fact that a court might force the sale of a team, that part's similar. But probate court, trust the state's court, a little bit different. Okay, that's that. That's that. Let us transition over. We're gonna we're gonna wade into the political waters, uh, not not too deep because people know that I'm not I'm not the most political person. Um, Taryn, Stephanie, I think we're I think sports are our politics, but you know people yeah. got it. We want to inform our listeners that that's that's the point of this podcast. So uh, here's here's the gist of it, and then uh, I think Taryn and I have a little bit of a difference of opinion. Stephanie, you can wade into the waters as arbitrator, as we have for our arbitration in our uh, top velocity baseball case, which uh, shout out to a client of the firm, Brad Porcio, who is a listener of the podcast. Some clients do come to us through the podcast, shout out to the podcast, which we are currently speaking on Look right at now. you drumming up business. Mm, mm, mm. Well, some, someone finds me funny somewhere. I don't know about you guys, but uh, someone finds me funny. Anyway. And I will so, say I was in the mediation clinic for um, a semester at school. So, you know, perfect. You know, maybe I'll be arbitrating top velocity cases. Okay. Uh, no, Top because it would be cases. Well, not right be, now, not right now, but a case that would be a conflict of interest, Stephanie, because you work for us and we are. No, I know, not to... right now. I just mean in general. I think it would be cool as like a little side. So your your aspiration, your aspiration is to be a mediator for Top Velocity. That's your oh. aspiration. <laughs> Top Velocity is, is not I a company that generates that much litigation. On the side, be a mediator. Steph you is treating that. mediation like it's like getting an Uber route. Like, <laughs> yeah, I get. I mean, that's it, her it's, side it's, hustle. Guess it gets good to have goals. Um, okay, so let, let's let's get into <laughs> let's get into the topic. Um, okay, so Major League Baseball was set to have their uh, All Star Game uh, for the uh, with the Atlanta Braves in Georgia. People that are are following politics will know that Georgia passed what some are calling a controversial uh, voter law. Now, um, we'll say this. The All-Star Game is now no longer in Atlanta. The All-Star Game has been moved over to Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. Uh, so, I'm, I'm, Taryn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save myself here. I know you, you, uh, you mentioned offline. What, what are your thoughts on moving the game uh, and the decision to move the game out of Atlanta? Uh. Yeah, like you said, we don't love to, to touch politics, uh, even though we've had some politicians on the show. The fact is that there is overlap between the two things. You can't not have it. So we're talking about it. Honestly, I don't see an issue with them moving the game from a business standpoint. They had a choice, okay? The choice was we don't move the game and every discussion, every single post-game interview, every long-form interview, at a time that Major League Baseball is trying desperately to market the new young stars of the game, is going to be about Georgia's voting laws. Something that the players probably don't have full knowledge about, but the headlines, you know, they just don't sound good. The messaging, it doesn't sound good. 
nobody wants to be on the side of, you know, let's limit or restrict voting. So, so they could have had every single interview be about that. And it could have led to players, managers. I know that Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager had mentioned that he might boycott the game. They could have done that. The other option, the one that they took is we'll move the game. It's not like this is breaking precedent. Uh, The NBA recently did this as recently as 2017. They moved the all-star game out of Charlotte uh, after a, a bill was passed regarding uh, gender conformity in bathrooms. And so they, they, they opted to do that. They got positive press reaction. They got people like LeBron James and, and Dusty Baker and Dave Roberts and other players, Francisco Lindor, saying that they appreciated MLB's decision to take a strong stance in favor of democracy. So given those two choices, I, I just feel like it's so easy to, to see that MLB did the right thing for their business. They have a desire to market the game better than they have in the past, and their decision to move the game and sidestep this conversation entirely just seems like the right one. I don't know. Steph, what do you think? I don't know. I think that it's definitely, it can go both ways because I was reading about it and I saw that Stacey Abrams, who is a Georgia voting rights activist. Yeah, and she, she ran actually, for governor against uh, yes. Brian Kemp. Yes. And she apparently spoke to an MLB senior advisor and strongly urged the league to keep the all-star game in Atlanta before they finally decided to, you know, move the event elsewhere. But she expressed her disappointment over the news because she thinks that, you know, yes, she appreciates them speaking out about the law, but the boycotts also might hurt the state economically. And, you know, I kind of somewhat do agree because these opportunities of having more attention on the state of Georgia, maybe to bring more awareness to this cause, you don't have that opportunity anymore because there's no large event there anymore. So I'm not really sure. It goes both ways. That's definitely true. They did, uh, again, a couple smart things. In the statement from Rod Manfred that said that they are going to be moving the game, they said, all of the investment that we were going to make, uh, particularly with RBI programs in Atlanta, we're still going to make them. And the celebration of Hank Aaron, which is one of the major reasons why this all-star game was one that baseball fans were looking forward to, you know, Hank Aaron home run King just passed away. They're still going to celebrate him, even though they've moved the game to Colorado. So I didn't know that, that Stacey Abrams had said that that's really interesting. On the other hand, the Braves very upset. Governor Brian Kemp, very upset. And Congress people, very upset. And we won't spend too long on this, but there's a great article by Michael McCann in Sportico uh, about the threat to MLB's antitrust exemption. Listeners of this podcast will know that MLB amongst the major sports gets a lot of benefits 
from the antitrust exemption. That's from the national baseball case, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes way back when. Um, and so rescinding that historical exemption would cause MLB some serious legal issues. And the place where I'm most interested in seeing uh, minor league players led by friend of the podcast, Garrett Brocious, highly recommend if anybody who's listening to the show has not listened to that episode uh, with Garrett Brocious, highly recommend you go back and listen to that. But they're filing suit on behalf of minor league baseball players for um, MLB teams collaborating to limit the income that those players can make. And if that antitrust exemption is rescinded, then they would be able to file section one Sherman antitrust claims against major league baseball. They would no longer be exempt from that. And those violations carry treble damages. So that would be a really big deal to minor league baseball players. And I don't think it's likely to happen. The politics are very dicey around that, but I, uh, yeah, I, I think that it saved MLB on one hand, but put them into the crosshairs on another. But it'll be interesting to see what happens long term. I have a question. I have a question. Yeah, please. Call, call on me, Taryn. You're teaching the class. I'm allowed to be called. All right. Mr. Lust. There we go. Okay. So I'll be very, very cautious on what I'm about to say. I have a family member who uh, is very excited that Major League Baseball did this. I have another family member who is very annoyed that they did this. Um, I am of the opinion that, uh, and I have no problem with politics being in sports. It's just, you know, maybe it's good to have this discussion. Maybe it's good to weigh this into the waters because people, uh, I think probably all of us in some way, shape or form, you know, I do uh, my following what's going on with voter registration law over in Georgia, you know, like, no, not really. It doesn't really, it doesn't really impact me on my day-to-day -day life. You know, to the extent there's, it impacts the results of an election. Yes, I will care about that and I will study up on that, but uh, it doesn't really, it's not really affecting me right now. Um, that said, them drawing attention to this issue, uh, Major League Baseball is drawing a lot of attention to it by moving the game out. So, uh, I don't know, that defend Major League Baseball saying that they're not making a political you know, choice here. They 100% are. Taryn, I didn't know, uh, and credit to Rob Manfred, who is definitely not a friend of the podcast because we spent a couple episodes just ripping him entirely. Um, but good for him that he's supporting businesses over in Atlanta. I, I mean that in all sincerity. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I actually think by not, by doing something, you send a much bigger political message. I understand that you don't want to put the players in a bad position, but like, I don't know, for the history of uh, media availability, players are being put in a lot of bad positions. They could say no comment. The reporters know to move on. They're not going to torpedo their career by asking them the same question over and over. Like, okay, they're all adults. They've dealt with tough questions. They can say move on. By, you know, and you agreed to put the game in Atlanta. You had the game, the game in Atlanta for a good reason. That's why everyone's upset. So if you, if you know, guess what? The voter registration, you know, voter laws came up. It's a controversial law. I don't think everyone would have understood, honestly, everyone would have understood if you just kept the game there because you made a commitment to the city of Atlanta. I think that's, that's totally fair to have kept the game there. Um, now, moving it says a lot. Moving it says that you are not in support of, of these voter laws and you don't want to have the game there. I don't, I, you could get, Rob Manfred could say otherwise that, oh, we just don't want to put the players in a bad position. But like, it's not what it says. It says that you think that this is a, a poor topic and you don't want to, to show support for, for Georgia for passing this law. That's, that's the only way to read yeah, it. And, 
and what they said is that they wanted that action to show their values. So they, so they, they, they took made it a political more political. I, I'm just saying that the, the reason that it makes sense is to avoid the entire conversation for them. So my, my family member who is not in support of, of this move said to me, he goes, uh, you know, he's like, uh, they, they moved, uh, you know, they, the players are allowed to put names in their jerseys and, and now basketball is getting political. And he's not, he, my, the family member that says this, he's, he just doesn't necessarily enjoy that, that sports and politics become blended. But I mean, it's 2021, it's kind of happening. So I explained to him, I go, you know, the, the basketball players with their names in the back of the jerseys wasn't really political. It was, we're going to let our players make the decision because it's their sport. And I, and I fully 100% support that. I don't really think that's political. I think if the players who control the sport want, and we want to support player empowerment, let the players have message, messages on the back of their jerseys. It's their sport, right? Let them do whatever they want. Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily know what the players feel on this particular topic. I don't. But it's this Major League Baseball making a decision for them. And now, probably, Taryn, and I'll, I'll disagree with Rob Manfred, I almost think it opens them up to messier questions um, you know, moving forward, what do you think about the game? What do you think about voter registration law? And like, it's just, they're going to be hit with card questions either way. So, but but it's all yeah. about the media coverage, and, and I don't want to. There's, there's more down coverage on, on this, this issue, but there's more coverage. There's more coverage on the story now because you move the game than how they just. The media the is going to let it go. They're not going to harp on it until July. I, I just I, I, you, I you created envision a, story, a they, scenario in which okay, it's in Coors Field, right? That's where the most home runs get hit. We get to that first day of the all-star break where they have the home run derby and someone hits like 40 home runs and no one's going to talk about the Georgia voter ID law at all. The game's going to be great. The game's going to be great. The festivities are going to be great. But what you've done is created a cycle because I see it trending on Twitter. You've created a cycle of bad press, which if you just kept in Atlanta, like, who's is there going to be protests that are occurring that the game is being held? Well, no, I, I think they made it a bigger issue because they moved it. But that's just that's just my thought. And I, I think, you know, I don't have it. I don't really have an issue with making a political statement, but, you know, call call it like it is. And, and you know, credit to Manfred that he's calling it a political statement. If that's, you know, I, I'll, uh, should, should we should we bet on it, Dan? Bet on what? The game. Like, no, uh, OK, in, in two weeks, if this is mentioned in enough top stories okay okay there's, there's there's no criterion to judge this this is just no? you're getting down is a that, rabbit hole that's nothing i mean no, uh, I just saying, if it's a big story in two weeks which i don't think it's going to be because sometime will, will it pass then i i'm i'm it's not going to be a big story in two weeks but it's a big story right now so you've created a way that you but baseball has created a, a story out of nothing there would have been no story it just would have gone under the rug and no one was no, saying there's just no but, way there's just no way that it's not a story it's it's more of a story if the media which tends to cover certain stories harder than others is is going to be hammering you on the georgia voter id law every day and they're bringing it up with the players. It's just, it's going to be more in the news cycle than it is now. I, I, I think that they did the right thing, step, sidestepping it from a business perspective. That's not to say anything about the, the law itself. It's, it's okay that we disagree. I, I, I don't think it was the right move, but, um, I, and again, I, I don't, 
Uh, I'm not someone that feels so strongly about politics one with the other. And if you are someone that wants Major League Baseball and, and, you know, the sports that we love to send messages, I think it's done a very effective job. But I think if the goal was to stay neutral and, hey, this is just the sport that we play, we made a business commitment to the city of Atlanta, I'm okay keeping it there. I don't do it, uh, whatever. But uh, it's okay. I, I, I think they've, they've created more... Mm, more things that don't have to do with the game because of this. And it just, I know you disagree with me, but um, it's fine. Um, this, this podcast is running long, so I'm going I'm to zap through the three topics that we did not hit that I just want people to close the loop on. If you don't follow us on social media, you should, because we're full of good nuggets and full of good uh, gifts, as I'm told is the word. I'll just leave it at that. Um, uh, Nike settled that fun uh, Satan case that we uh, spoke about last week. There was no... No monstrous amount of money that uh, mischief that company had to pay to Nike. They just kind of settled it. And they basically said, uh, you know, you have to give you know, buyers a chance to give you back the shoes, which no one in their right mind is going to do because the resale market is going to make those things worth thousands upon thousands of dollars. So no one. And if you own a pair, this is my legal advice to you. Do not give it back for your $200. That would be insane to do that. Okay. Uh, second story, Tiger Woods uh, got into his car crash. The police uh, findings, sheriff's findings came back. Uh, people were like, oh, maybe he was uh, on drugs and maybe you know he was drinking. It was seven in the morning. Who knows? Uh, at least if you believe the L.A. County Sheriff's report, the reason that the crash occurred was because he was speeding. Something as simple as that. He was going 83 miles an hour at the point of impact and uh, he just lost control of the vehicle. And third, third, uh, is, uh, oh, we could have spent the whole topic doing this, but We've spoke a lot about how Florida is going to have name, image, and likeness starting on July 1st. We now have to talk about a second state with name, image, and likeness starting on July 1st. That would be the New Mexico, uh, state of New Mexico, New Mexico, Aztecs, Albuquerque, all the fun stuff that happens in New Mexico. Um, so uh, as they say, I think it's double mint gum. They say double the pleasure, double the fun. We have double the pressure on the NCAA, uh, and now we'll have double the fun torturing them. Um, That's nice, okay. Dan. Uh, and listen, this is, this is, I'm, I'm here all night guys. Okay. So, um, let, uh, I guess, you know, podcast got a little long. Let, let us, uh, actually, you know what, this, this is our, this fancy segment. People tend to like this. I've heard some feedback on it, including from Stephanie's dad. Shout out to Stephanie's dad. Um, the second is called the, he is going what? to eat this up um, when he listens. <laughs> okay. Uh, Steph, let's, let's start with you. Um, this is the, what to watch for segment. And maybe fill our listeners in on, on uh, your dad's comment, which made my day. So my dad doesn't take any of my suggestions, but somehow he was obviously listening to the Sports Law podcast Jeez. and listening to the Sports Law Lust. Jeez. So, you know, he took the suggestion to watch Drive to Survive on Netflix. Apparently it's a great Formula One show. I don't really do cars, so I'm not really sure. But one thing that, I don't know, my dad's on a golf trip right now as well with his high school buddies on Long Island, which you can only imagine is kind of crazy. So shout out, dad. Hope you enjoyed the Formula One show recommended by Dan. Big and Steve, speaking, good dude. Steve, great dude. But speaking of golf, that reminds me, the Masters still taking place at Augusta National Golf Club in oh, Augusta, Georgia. Interesting. So is they did move the Masters, but I do happen to that. I don't think you can move the Masters. There's too much tradition behind that. That it's that you can't move the Masters. That's, that's where Atlanta is. 
Georgia. Same state, yes. same state. Now, yeah. now, Stephanie, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay, what's more important? And this is, I'm, I'm playing the role of Taryn here. What's more important, tradition or civil rights? Oh, right? civil rights, pick, hands down. What but you're picking dichotomy. Mike. No, you're picking, you've picked tradition. Some no, of the, I, civil rights, we, hands down. We, but I don't know. I We are people up in arms. We are people up in arms that oh, there, there are other people and there are protests. I'm not seeing them. Maybe there, maybe there is. Yeah. Anyway, my, my two cents. And, and, and masters are going on. Everyone loves that the masters are on. It doesn't matter. Probably it does matter where the masters are held. But like at some point, someone drew the line. So, you know, okay. But anyway, go ahead. And I'm going to interrupt your what to watch for. No, and I was going to say, honestly, one thing that I do love about the masters, it's kind of a weird thing. I don't know if people know this, but every Masters champion gets to pick the first night dinner the next year. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so Dustin Johnson, reigning champ, he picked, I think it was like filet mignon and mixed vegetables and like pecan pie or something. Peach pie, maybe. I don't know. But some of the some of the players have some funny choices. I know Jordan Spieth, I think, had like mac and cheese and something kid friendly. But Taryn, uh, what are you looking forward to? Because I'm just talking in circles. I need to get some sleep. <laughs> uh, I, I was just going to say a uh, big Marco Rubio energy there, Dan. He wrote a letter to uh, Rob Manfred asking if he was going to cancel his Augusta membership. I am looking forward to uh, this week, Duke Sports and Entertainment Law Symposium. It's a conversation with NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, and you can register for that. I'm going to be asking a question. You can register for that at tinyurl.com backslash Duke Silver 2021. And I just have a fun story to tell about Adam Silver. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, the code is Duke Silver 2021? Okay, so you get that, right? I mentioned that to Zach Flagle, and I was like, Duke Silver, LOL. And he was Parks like, and Recreations. Oh no, is that someone? And and I was like, that's yeah, bad. of course, that's, that's Nick bad. Offerman's. That's bad. He's the, the jazz, this Nick Offerman's, uh, uh, Ron, Ron Swanson's yeah. secret, secret identity. That's really bad. That's yeah. really bad. That's, yeah. that's blasphemous. Yeah, listen, hey, uh, Zach Flagel, if you're listening to this podcast, you're no longer allowed to listen. You know what? Don't tell him. Let's see if Zach Flagel's a listener of the podcast. Don't tell him. <laughs> Don't tell him. Bad choice of passcode. Bad, bad choice, but good. I, 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 I had a fun run in uh, when I was at Duke. Um, I went to business school there and uh, I was at the Washington Duke Hotel, great restaurant, bar, hotel. And it was after a Duke basketball game. I'm running back to my car to grab something. I turn the corner, bam, Adam Silver's right there. He's carrying his bags in. I don't even know what he was doing there, but he's a Duke graduate graduated from undergrad there 1984 and i was like whoa adam silver and he was like whoa i don't know your name and uh and that was one of the highlights of my time at duke so i am very much excited to ask him a question and uh everyone should uh tune in and listen i'm sure that this conversation's going to be really great he's one of the really fabulous commissioners for major uh, sports. Um, so I guess for mine, as we're, we're putting this in books, there was a, uh, I listened to the Ryan Russillo podcast. I'm a big fan of what Ryan does over there. Uh, he had like a two-part series on the, 
put the uh, two-part series on the ABA. Uh, some really interesting stories. There's a book called Loose Balls that came out. Uh, not, uh, I'm not a necessarily big book reader, but I am a big audio book guy if I get the right book. So I purchased that for a whopping $9.99. Uh, the stories they told from Bob Costas uh, to Dr. J. Um, I think there's a fascinating tre treasure trove. And I'm just going to leave you guys with this little one nugget. Um, probably going to mess up the name, but uh, there was only a handful of ABA teams. It was less than 10. And when the ABA uh, merged with the NBA, uh, they adopted a handful of teams. They adopted the Denver Nuggets, the San Antonio Spurs, the Indiana Pacers. It's a handful of teams that they didn't want to take. So teams that they wanted, they just brought all those players over. This is from, this, from the story from the book. It's very good. Uh, and uh, it, the teams that they didn't want, they're like, what do we do with their players? Maybe we're going to get with an antitrust lawsuit. Um, so we got to figure out what to do with these, play with these, these teams. So they decided to do some type of disbursement draft and, you know, allocate the players to teams. I think Moses Malone was on one of the teams that got, uh, you, know, uh, you know, disintegrated. Now, one of the owners of one of these teams that was getting disintegrated, the Squires, I'm not sure where they're from. Virginia. But basic, Virginia, okay, Virginia Squires. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that's who it was. But uh, essentially, as, as the story goes, the NBA was paying these, you know, teams that they were getting rid of, like $5 million or whatever it was, a decent amount of money. And the Squires said, well, what if instead of paying us $5 million, what you do is you just give us 1% of like the TV rights. And they're like, well, why would we do that? And they're like, well, if we had potentially been brought onto the league as a team, we would have gotten a share of the TV, right? So why don't you give us whatever share we would have gotten and, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go into the background. We won't sue you in antitrust. So the NBA is like, hmm, okay, we'll do that. The problem with this NBA lawyer, because he clearly was not thinking of the ramifications, he allowed this uh, the percentage of the TV deal to go to this uh, the owner of the Squires team, uh, and the words were in perpetuity. So the owner of the Squires team for like a hundred, you know, not not necessarily hundred years, but like decades, was receiving a cut of the NBA's TV money and was having no overhead because he wasn't paying any salaries, had no overhead from an arena, no overhead of paying staff, was just literally getting a check. So um, at least as the story goes this amount of money went from 500,000 a year when the deal was initially made to a million, 5 million to 10 million uh, up until a certain point. And again, I think this is Bob Costas who, who told the story, but essentially the NBA at a certain point goes, okay, we can't be paying this guy a hundred million dollars a year. This is, this is getting crazy. TV money is crazy. We're going to pay the guy off. And I think it's Costas, which is per, per Bob Costas, who is excellent. We're still his podcast. Uh, a payment is made, was made, close to half a half a billion dollars to make these people go away because the money was just getting too crazy. Great story. Um, but it's, uh, you know, one for the, the sports law slash sports business history books. Um, so that said, uh, you know, obviously a uh, big week in sports law. Um, guys, anything else to add before we, uh, we put this in the books? I don't think so. Everyone, my new favorite drink at Starbucks is the iced brown sugar shake and espresso if you can get your hands on it, it's usually sold out by the one that my apartment and that might be why I'm so tired today, but hopefully it's back tomorrow. That's all I got. <laughs> Turn. Uh, yeah. Dr. J also great on the Ryan Rosillo podcast and uh, Rosillo, if you're listening to this, love you, man. Okay. Uh, as always, uh, you can find the show at con detrimental. Uh, Stephanie is at, S Weisberger underscore and Taryn is at TK Sharma law. And I am at sports law lust uh, for Dan and Mike. We will wish you uh, a great weekend and we'll see you next week on another episode of conduct detrimental. <laughs>